the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Pastor John Allworth. behaviors and addictions are rampant in our society. People are in bondage to alcohol, drugs, pornography, codependent relationships, and more. If you or a loved one is stuck in the cycle of shame, guilt, and continued destructive behavior, keep listening. Recovery Radio Houston with Pastor John Allworth and Tony D starts now. They'll take your calls and share how the healing power of a personal relationship with Christ saved them and can do the same for you or your loved ones. God wants you to walk into the light. Recovery Radio Houston is live. Good evening, Southeast Texas. This is Pastor John Allworth coming to you live from Recovery Radio Houston. And we are so excited to be here in our new time slot. We have moved from our 9 p.m. time slot to 4 in the afternoon, where we're going to be here every Saturday from now on. And we are completely excited and psyched out to be here with you Woo-hoo. i'm here with my co-host tony b too early today and our special guest sasha mcclain how I, are you both doing today i had to peel myself off the couch i was watching tv and i'm like oh four o'clock today well this is for our, our new listeners this is a show about hope we are here to show people the hope that jesus christ offers to the lost to the brokenhearted specifically those that are under the bondage of addiction because you know god wants you to know that no matter where you are, no matter where you've been, uh, no matter what you're going through, there's always hope. And he loves you. He has forgiven you. And he's got a mighty purpose in your life. You know, Tony, the the further down we go, the bigger testimony we have when we rise out of the ashes, when God restores beauty from ashes. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, no matter what time of the day it is. <laughs> so. I, w- I will tell you, I got so used to doing this show at night, it's weird having sunlight in here. But there is one little caveat, the A.C., is working. Is working better. Right. Yeah. Hallelujah. I think they shut the AC off in this place at 9 o'clock. Yeah, I don't know what it is, but it feels great in here. It yeah. does. And we're just so excited to be with you. Uh, this is a show, as I said, about hope. And if you're under the bondage of addiction, or you, or a loved one, or, or, or someone that you know, a friend that you care about, there's always hope. You can, you can turn it around. God, there's nothing impossible for God. And the recovery community in this, in this town is a, alive and vibrant. We've got a special guest here today, Sasha McLean. Uh, she runs a place called Archway Academy, which is a wonderful program uh, for kids who, are, who have problems with substance abuse. So if you've got questions about Jesus or you've got questions about recovery, call us at 1-800-808-5548. Again, that number is 1-800-808-5548. You can call in for prayer. You can call in to share your, your stories of victory, or you can call with questions for Sasha or with Tony or for, or for me. Uh, but we're here to, to introduce you to somebody that can solve any problem you have, and that is Jesus Christ. So let's get going. Let's start in prayer. Father God, 
we are just so thankful to have the opportunity to to have this radio show and to spread the gospel of good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're thankful to to share the news about recovery resources in this community, and we're we're th- thankful to share your hope, Father God. We're asked for healing in our land right now. We've got we've got some issues that we're dealing with, but. They're not too big for you, Father. And uh, we ask for wisdom for our leaders. We ask for a hedge of protection around your church. And, and, and Father, we ask that, that you bring us together. We're a nation divided, and we ask for unity, and uh, we ask for godly wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. Amen. All right, Tony, I, I thought, you know, since uh, we're in a new time slot, we before we start interviewing Sasha, who's here with us, uh, it's so good to see you, Sasha. Great to be here. And uh, that might, we might introduce ourselves just a little bit to our, our new audience uh, and what we're trying to do here. So why don't you, you start? You mean the fan club didn't get the newsletter out? Yeah, I don't so think so. Is, no? N- oh, not yet. Okay. Well, tell us a little bit about why you're here, Tony. Why are you sitting in this chair? I'm sitting in this chair blessed by the grace of God and the blood of Jesus that uh, – I suffered from the bondage of alcoholism from 14 to 42, so 28, almost 30 years. Uh, that was 10 years ago that I came to the light, and uh, praise be to God, I got everything back and more. Um, but I went through a transition period of about a year to where I got to know him, because um, he already knew me. Amen. He knows everything. And uh, I still celebrate that relationship every day today. It's a it's a beautiful thing. This radio show was a a blessing that was just dropped in our lap, and uh, it's just a product of um, perseverance and his work. Well, you know, Tony, I'm here because of the same story. You know, there's a thousand stories out there, but they all end up the same. I ended up isolated and and um, separated from God, and that was that was the worst thing that that. That can happen to anybody, but we want people to know we we're, we're here because we want to shout from the mountaintops that there's a better way to live. And, and at Recovery Radio Houston, we believe in all forms of recovery. We believe in the twelve step programs. We believe in smart recovery. Uh, we believe in the spiritual journey. We believe that if you want a supercharged supernatural recovery, you need a relationship with Jesus Christ. But all principles of recovery are it's a spiritual journey. It's it's a journey, and, and there are many people that, that don't know God and, and don't want to know God, but they begin in the 12-step program, and that starts them on, on their spiritual journey. So we see ourselves as a bridge. We believe in the secular recovery community and, and a bridge over into to faith-based, where, from our perspective, things really take That's off. That's where the rubber meets the road. Yes, it does. So we're going to interview Sasha McLean here today, and I'm so excited because this is such a wonderful thing. And she told me before the show started that there are 42 schools like this around the United States mm. because like you said Tony from 14 to 42 and and uh, I something a, about that magic age of 14, 14 we always you talk know about. if I you know if there's a kid out there that's listening or there's a parent out there that's listening if I had been exposed to recovery and to that spiritual journey at an earlier age, oh my goodness! I mean, I'm I'm happy. I praise the Lord every day for where He's got me now. But but it's just so wonderful to get kids at that age mm-hmm. and to 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 have an opportunity for them to realize their full potential in life. Oh my goodness! It just excites me. So Sasha. Um, <laughs> Uh, again, good afternoon, and uh, give us just a quick over. We're gonna we're gonna get into to your story and and what brought you. Uh, you're in recovery. What brought you to Archway Academy? Uh, and then we're gonna get into the details of what Archway does and what y'all believe and how you operate. 
but first of all, give us just a quick synopsis of what Archway Rec- uh, Academy is. Absolutely. Well, I'm so excited to be here. John and Tony, thank you so much for inviting me. Um, this is one of my favorite things to do, talk about something that lights my soul up. Um, Archway Academy, recovery, spirituality, all of those things are massive gifts in my life. And so what better way to spend a Saturday afternoon than uh, bragging about something that lights up my soul. So Archway Academy is a recovery high school here in Houston. Uh, It's a high school specifically for kids who have substance use disorders, maybe other co-occurring mental health issues, whether that's depression, anxiety, um, eating disorders. Um, A lot of times what we find with young kids is uh, that there's kind of a, a multitude of issues they might be struggling with that leads them to have major consequences with school or at home, within their family or with the legal system. So Archway was created in 2003. Um, We opened our doors January 2004, and we were created by a group of parents who uh, were concerned about their children, several who had lost their children to addiction and suicide, and a large group of mental health professionals local here in Houston that came together and just said, we're not doing enough for kids. We're not doing enough for families. Um, At the time in Houston in 2004, if your kid was in trouble, you had to look outside of the Houston community for resources. There were some things here in Houston, but normally you you shipped your kid off somewhere else um, when they were in uh, dire trouble. And so Archway Academy was a way to keep kids here local, keep kids at home with their loving families or with families that needed support as well. Mm-hmm. And our core mission is to help kids with substance use issues, number one, find recovery, find some peace, and number two, get their high school diploma. So we're an educational agency that supports kids grades 9 through 12, and our ultimate goal is to get them a high school education and show them that they can do that without drugs and alcohol. What a wonderful awesome. mission. Yeah, isn't that awesome? You know, I, you mentioned something that I thought was interesting, and I want our listeners to know you know, I uh, read something on the Christian Broadcast Network not too long ago that said the Bible is a book about recovery. And the truth of the matter is, is <laughs> almost all of us are recovering from something. And you mentioned depression and eating disorders. And, and so recovery is not just limited to drugs and alcohol, although that's where many of us, many of those kinds of disorders or, or dysfunctions lead us to is drugs and alcohol. But, you know, you can be recovering from anything. So uh, and the other thing that, uh, you know, that struck me when you gave that synopsis was, you know, the fact that, that addiction affects so many people, what we might call collateral damage, uh, the family members and that, that struggle with this. And, and so many people, myself and Tony included, begin experimenting with either alcohol or drugs or both uh, in those, you know, junior high, high school years. So that's just awesome. So let's, let's, let's let the audience get to know you a little bit. And so, uh, so they can understand how you came to be your position is executive director of Archway Academy. That's correct. And I've been there for the last 12 years, 12 years. That's awesome. That's awesome. So tell us about you. Where'd you grow up? So I grew up here in Houston, actually in Bel Air, um, grew up in a really beautiful, loving home. My parents are incredible people. Uh, my mom is actually from Mexico City, and my dad was born here in the United States. So I grew up in a family that was a bit blended culturally. My mom didn't become a U.S. citizen until I was in high school. I actually really? went wow. to her citizenship uh, ceremony. We had a big party after she and one of my uncles and my grandfather all became citizens together. How cool is that? That was really cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, grew up in a, in a beautiful family. I have a younger brother, uh, three years younger than I am. Sports was a huge part of my life growing up. Uh, spirituality was a part of our life. Um, I had a big family. Our family was close-knit. 
Um, we actually, uh, I always laugh. We were like the stereotypical Hispanic family that had like everyone and their mom living with you. You know, like I had grandparents living with us, uncles living with us, cousins living with us. We had so many cars in the driveway. If you needed to leave, you had to ask like five people. <laughs> You're one to move of those neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> Six people have to move their car for you to get your car out. Um, but it was, um, I had in many ways a really special childhood. And then, like most of us in other ways, had some challenges in growing up. Don't so, we all? Yeah. Absolutely. And I would say, you know, a lot of people ask me, you know, um, what led to my journey with substance use issues? You know, what led me to alcohol? And, you know, I kind of feel like there's there's two ways that people get on that path. I think sometimes people experience hardships and trauma growing up, you know, that lead them to just feel a, a big sense of dis-ease. You know, a lot of people talk about the disease of addiction. And uh, and that really, if you look at that word disease and you break it into two, it stands for dis-ease, just like a lack of peace in mm-hmm. life um, that keeps us searching for a way to numb out or a way to feel better or a way to feel different. And, uh, and for me, it surrounded an anxiety disorder. So I um, started developing an anxiety disorder in elementary school. And when people ask me where the roots really started sinking in, um, you know, I look back with my therapist to age four. And uh, when I was four, we had three really traumatic family events happen. My uh, maternal grandmother passed unexpectedly. My brother had a near-death experience. My parents were told if they hadn't taken him to the ER, you know, within 15 minutes, he wouldn't have made it. Um, And then my paternal grandmother passed. And so we lost the two matriarchs of my family. And my brother, who was 18 months old at the time, had a near-death experience. And you can imagine what that does to to a family, losing two matriarchs and having a near-death experience with a child. And I think that was kind of the beginning of some unraveling in my family. We were all doing the best that we could with what we had, but that was a really tough period of time. Well, you know, you mentioned, you said several things that, that caught my ear. One, the disease of addiction does not discriminate. It, you know, people come from all backgrounds. Many people, some people have a stereotypical idea of, of people on skid row or something and that is far from the truth the disease affects people from all backgrounds and then the other thing that she said that was interesting is in one of the partners of our show is is the open door mission i don't know if you're familiar with them they they uh, take in homeless men and they transform lives they're doing wonderful work and we've had the executive director tommy thompson on a couple of times and they talked about doing the fourth step work of really digging in and figuring out you know what led to this because we all have you know, life, as Jesus said, will always have trials and tribulations on mm-hmm. this earth. And we all have these things in our background. And that's really fascinating that you've traced that back to four, because I've also read in, in psychology books that many, many of our personality traits are, are sunk in by the time we're five. I mean, we don't realize, we don't even remember. I don't remember that much before I was five, but, but uh, trauma can really affect us at that age. Absolutely. Well, yeah, and uh, I, I, from my, I mean, I'm, I'm a little younger than you. Just a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. Don't worry. So I have, <laughs> I have uh, flashes of memory from early, early, early childhood, um, and without getting into too much detail, there's there's flashes of some things that you know shouldn't have seen, you know. Um, I know pornography at a very early age. In my case, just viewing it on the ground at a ballpark stuck with me forever and led to a lot of other, you know vices and things and they kind of all come together at that teen early teenage uh stage for some reason and then you mentioned something very interesting that's close to my heart also is the anxiety is that i had no idea of the anxiety issue that i had 
until I was like in, I don't know, until right before I got sober. I mean, into my early 40s to where it affected, um, I, 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 uh, I liken it to feeling trapped because I had a rage issue. And the rage would come when I just couldn't take the anxiety anymore and I had to push everything and everybody away just to get some kind of peace of mind. And that just set up a cycle to where the drinking came in and the gambling and everything. I was just going to say, Tony, what what numbs the rage? What numbs the anxiety? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So And so how old were you when you took your first drink? Uh, I was 12 when I drank for the first time, like, to kind of get drunk. There had been times where, you know, I'd, family had allowed me to have a sip here or a sip there, like at a holiday or something. But I remember the first time drinking to try to drink like the grown-ups were drinking, I was 12. And uh, and then drinking, um, you know, alcohol is a depressant. And when you have an anxiety disorder, you know, depressants help you feel mm-hmm. more comfortable or more peaceful in your own body. You feel Slows it down. Absolutely. Less mm-hmm. like a rubbed up Mustang and more like a normal person. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I didn't understand, obviously, at the time, I didn't know I was making a conscious choice to try to feel more at peace in my own did, body. Did you find also, I noticed you said uh, Latin American descent. I also, my parent, my mother's Puerto Rican. So I had, a, and my father was Italian. So I had a lot of that kind of influence too did you oh, notice that culture when, of drinking when people when people were i mean my both my parents neither one was alcoholic but um did you notice that when there was a lot of people over the house family or friends or whatever that when the alcohol came out the congeniality was there oh absolutely and everybody, everybody got, was and relaxed and cool and the anxiety was gone so I, I made a very early correlation to alcohol equals peace absolutely equals fun equals festivity you know everybody comfortable with each other and as the bible tells us the devil <laughs> devil masquerades as an angel of light yeah. yeah and he tricks us into these kinds of things so uh when did you begin to drink regularly well so you know i started having you know panic attacks not just high high anxiety but like you know, diagnosable panic disorder type behaviors, panic attacks, like breathing into a paper bag at the dinner table. Mm-hmm. Um, I started developing a lot of really weird phobias at a young age. Like I kept, um, I was nervous I was going to choke to death and die. I was, every time an ambulance would pass by, I would get massive anxiety about what if mm. my dad's in that ambulance? What if my uncle's in that ambulance? Um, and, you know, I thought all children had some level of this anxiety, but I think it was some some teachers at school and some school nurses that were kind of showing my parents, hey, this might be kind mm-hmm. of out of what's normal for for a young girl to be carrying around. Um, and we just had a lot going on in my family. So, you know, there were a lot of people in and out of my house, my parents. Uh, actually, it's, it's one of those things that, you, like, now that I'm a, a mother myself and I have a 13-year-old son and I think about what are the things I really want to teach my son, my parents did an incredible job of teaching me how to be of service. They did mm. that within my family. Like, they were the people everyone went to. If someone needed money, mm. if someone needed shelter, if someone needed support, um, my parents were the go-to people in the family. And with that, sometimes comes some poor boundaries, like allowing people to stay there that maybe should not mm-hmm. be staying there. Mm-hmm. And so we, we had some some really rough things um, happen to us as kids um, under the um, under the the idea of helping. But when you help with no boundaries, right. um, not always helpful to people. Yeah, Absolutely. and that's that's you that, enable more than you help. Yeah, that's that's something that's, with good intentions. That's, right, that's uh, very prevalent in addiction, and people don't know how to do the tough love because uh, enabling is is rampant in, in addiction families and, and dealing with problems generally. You know, when we enable people as opposed to to being uh, setting the boundaries and 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 really 
telling them how they ought to act. Uh, it's tough out there. We've had calls before, Tony, where people call in and they say, I don't know what to do. My kid is is using drugs in my house. Well, you don't have to let your kid use drugs in your house. Yeah. It's your house. So you can't enable them and say it's okay. You've got to, you've got to put your foot down. So, well, And that brings up a great point, John, because, you know, I th- I've had lots of conversations with my with my parents and, you know, I'm part of my role in the at, at Archway is coaching, you know, families. How do you navigate this with your young children? And, you know, we talk about all of the red flags that are present that we just refuse to acknowledge as red oh, flags yeah. because mm. we'd rather dismiss them as being something else. Right. Mm. So, you know, someone vomits all over their room. Well, maybe they maybe they ate bad oysters. You know, think of all, you know, someone got a DUI. Well, it was just a one time thing or that wasn't that that wasn't my kid's weed in, in her purse. Mm. Um, you know, all the things you think your kids just won't do. I, I tell parents all the time the most dangerous thing you can say is my kid would never do that yeah you know because because when you believe your child would never do drugs or never have unprotected sex or never whatever it is um you know when data begins to present itself to you saying no this is true you immediately dismiss it as being something else it's kind of a it's the ultimate level of denial well it's interesting the denial that was the word i was thinking of because it comes both from the addict the person that's participating and from those around them in in my case i grew up uh, my mother was an alcoholic and we swept it under the rug, you know. I mean, we we tried to ignore it. I mean, who wanted to confront it until until it gets to the point where you don't? Which, speaking of, you were an athlete in high school. I was. And, and you were functioning, even though you were yes. doing all these things to get by. Tell and us, I think tell that, us about that. That was that was part of the challenge, I think, within my family is that we're a we're a group of very high functioning problem drinkers. And, uh, you know, I look at both sides of my family and alcohol is present on both sides of the family. Um, you know, a lot of people in my family have challenges with alcohol. Um, some get into recovery, some don't. Some lives are just destroyed. I have an uncle who committed suicide in prison um, before I was born. And, you know, the devastation that that left on my family is like, I don't think that's something a family gets over in, in many ways. You know, it leaves a lasting impression. And so we can see the generational pattern. Um, but the tricky part about being a high-functioning alcoholic or a high-functioning food addict or a high-functioning workaholic or whatever um, is that it's hard for people to want to confront you because they can make excuses like, well, she's still, you know, she's on the elite soccer team. Mm -hmm. She's still making A's and B's and AP classes. You know, she's still, you know, her, her friend group is still hanging out with her. She hasn't been arrested. Well, of course, what my parents don't know is I should have been arrested many times, but Mm -hmm. I grew up in Bel Air and Bel Air pulls over a young group of girls from Bel Air High School that play volleyball and soccer. And we didn't always experience the legal consequences. We probably should have experienced. And I think that was part of why my challenges went on for as long as they did was because um, my parents didn't see me as like the the normal drug addict, alcoholic person, like out of control, you know, raging. Well, we uh, also get fa- good at failing, hiding our, yeah, we keep our behaviors school. out there and at home we're, you know, mm-hmm. we're different. And I think they, they said, well, as long as the wheels aren't falling completely off, mm. you know, they were worried about me. But no one was really willing to There's a refusal to believe that the worst could be at hand. And and what's so ironic is we see that as a blessing at the time because we're able to continue functioning. I'm able to continue practicing along. I'm able to be a great student. I'm able to play on the soccer team. Uh, But we're just hiding something that's 
that's going to get the wheels are going to come off sooner or later. So if you're out there and, and you're having a problem, uh, call us one eight hundred eight zero eight five five four eight. Or if you want to ask Sasha questions about Archway Academy or any of his questions about recovery resources, or if you just need prayer, please call us at one eight hundred eight zero eight five five four eight. We're here at Recovery Radio Houston at our new time slot at 4. We're so happy that you're with us, and we're here talking about the challenges that, that uh, addiction and, and other problems present and where the answer is, and we believe it's in Jesus Christ. And there's also incredible recovery resources in this community, and one of them is at Archway Academy, which is a high school that for kids with substance abuse and other disorder problems, and we're interviewing their executive director, Sasha McLean. We're so happy to have her here so tell us, Sasha, what got you sober? Tell us about that journey. <laughs> so it was a combination of things. Um, you know, definitely drinking alcohol to kind of numb out my anxiety issues. You know, it worked for a period of time, I'll be honest. Sure. You know, it was it was a way for me to manage my own life uh, until it got unmanageable again. So, you know, graduating from college, um, you know, I had an undergraduate degree. You know, I was hitting all those markers that you should hit to be a successful person. But I was, you know dying on the inside. I mean, I was a miserable person. I didn't trust myself. I didn't like my behavior. Um, I had gone through a really painful breakup. Um, And I always sometimes, you know, the Archway kids will come and they're experiencing a breakup. And there's a piece of me that's like, dude, you dated this guy for six months. Like, really, how traumatic can this be? But it's really traumatic. You know, the ending of relationships, regardless of your age. Six months is a long time when you're a teenager. (laughs) Yeah, like in dog years. It's a drop in the bucket now when we're older. But it's really a long time. Well, and, who, you know, who am I to put a label on what's trauma and what's not? You know, if it's difficult to go through and it breaks your heart. I mean, remember um, how long summer vacation was? I got so much in in those two months, two and a half months. It felt like a lifetime. And if you dated a girl for that time, that oh, was, oh, good. man. It was, yeah, it was, get married. It was yeah. super serious. You got a promise ring and everything. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think, though, that um, that once I graduated or at, in the process of graduating from college, my anxiety disorder kind of took a spin into a into a darker place where I wasn't able to numb it out with alcohol anymore. And so my alcohol intake was increasing and my functioning was decreasing. Mm. And uh, I remember being at a bachelorette party. We were in a limo and we went to a Mexican food restaurant and I had a massive, massive panic attack in the restroom. And I just remember being like, I can't live like this. Like eat, something's going to change. Either I'm going to hurt myself um, or I'm going to end up in a mental institution uh, or I have to do something. And so I ended up in um, in a nurse practitioner's office and she was the first person who asked me serious questions about alcohol. Like, what was I putting in my body? How much caffeine are you drinking? How much alcohol are you drinking? Are you smoking weed? Um, and it was it was almost as if she was the first person to ever help me connect these dots. Like, I just didn't think to connect them on my own. She was the first person who said, your anxiety disorder is spinning out of control because mm-hmm. what you were doing to numb it out is not working. Um, and now I'm starting to have other co- consequences connected to, to the alcohol that I'm drinking. You know, friendship issues, relationship issues. My parents are terrified for me. Mm. Um, I'm I'm drinking under the influence. I'm blacking out. Just you know, scary things. And I thought, well, this is not a way to live. This is, you know, really more a way to die. And uh, so I ended up in counseling. And then I ended up in the 12-step community. And um, I have not had a drink since December 29th of 2001. Mm. 
Praise the Lord. That is wonderful. You know, Tony, you were talking earlier about that vicious cycle that Sasha just mentioned about with with her. It was anxiety and and she would drink to cope with that. And and it just got worse and worse and worse. And with you, it was rage. Uh, Yeah. Well, remember, uh, anger is a complete derivative of fear. Right. So I was so afraid. That's why I was so mad all the time because I was always worried about um, when you were talking about um, your um, your anxiety episodes in your youth. I remember how and the thoughts that you think everybody has. I'd be sitting there. I don't know if the mic can pick that up uh, at night on my mattress playing the drums because I was so nervous. Even when I was trying to go to sleep at night, I had massive insomnia. I would stay up for two, three days without the help of powder. I would just be up and awake and I'd catch little naps here and there. But as far as laying alone in bed at night, that was hard. It was really hard. And, you folks, know. if you're dealing with something like this, uh, you know, you need to know, or if you know somebody that's dealing with somebody like this, you need to know that there is hope. There's hope in recovery. Sasha began in the 12-step program that we're going to uh, talk about a little bit more here. And there's hope in Jesus Christ. Jesus told his disciples, my peace I leave with you. And I don't know about you, Tony, but I've never been more peaceful in my life since I came oh, to Christ. Sleep is so wonderful. <laughs> I remember when I first went back home from rehab, I, I started taking naps when I would get off of work. And I had never napped in my life, never. A nap was like a sign of weakness. And uh, even to this day, if I don't have my hour and a half, two hours a day, I'm just a different person. But, you know, it's a nice little slowdown at the beginning of the day. I mean, in the middle of the day. You know, we're going we're gonna to continue with Sasha, and we're going to talk in the second half. We're going to talk about the work that Archway Academy does. Uh, but I want to talk about a, a couple of things. You know, first of all, if you're out there um, and you don't have insurance, and you don't have uh, the resources, you think you don't have the resources to go to recovery, but you want to change your life, there are programs, uh, there's a a program called Project Hope that takes in both men and women in the city. There are faith-based programs, and our friends at the Open Door Mission, you don't have to have money to get sober. You don't have to have money and insurance to to find the resources. In fact, for me, sometimes these faith-based programs that are more lengthy really give a person a chance to to learn as sasha was talking about earlier what are the roots of this addiction why am i having this problem why am i doing the things i do and to really get your mind clear and to and to really transform your life so if if you've got questions about recovery Call us at 1-800-808-5548, 1-800-808-5548. You can also see a Recovery Resources page on our Facebook page, Recovery Radio Houston, and you can catch the back uh, episodes of our program. Tony, how do they do that? Yeah, our proud podcasts are a wonderful resource. They're something that you can uh, search, just put in the search engine for podcast for uh, Recovery Radio Houston podcast. And you can subscribe, and you can download all of our uh, podcasts, listen to it at a later date, a later date, or you can go back and reference one of them if you found one particularly interesting. Or, you know, now we switch time slots, and uh, maybe the afternoon isn't a good time for you, so you could just uh, have them there for you whenever at your leisure. And you can go to kkht.com and get a description of each one, find right. out what interests you, what what help you need. So yeah. uh, we'll be back uh, in three minutes, and with Sasha McLean. So thank you for joining us today.
Welcome back to Recovery Radio Houston. Uh, we're just so happy you can join us in our new time slot. We've moved from the 9 p.m. hour to the 4 p.m. hour, and, and we're a show about hope. We're here to offer hope to those that are under the bondage of addiction because there's hope in one, and his name is Jesus Christ. And there are so many recovery resources in this city. There's 12-step groups. There are, are, and we're talking to an amazing, an amazing person right now, who uh, Sasha McLean, who, who uh, is the executive director of Archway Academy, and this is a school for kids uh, that are having substance abuse and other uh, anxiety, depression, other disorders, and it's just wonderful that we have this resource here in in the city of Houston. And Sasha was so kind to join us today, and so we're back. So Sasha, uh, you got sober. And uh, you got sober through uh, counseling and through uh, the twelve step program. You know that's one thing that we we addicts have a have a uh, have a issue with, and that is pride. And you know we tend to be type A personalities. We tend to, you know, our society teaches us handle. You know, particularly for for men, I see uh, for for men, you know, handle your own problems. You know, and it's so hard for us sometimes to ask for help. But it, you know, it, it's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength. We've got a call on, on line one. Uh, we've got a question for Sasha. We've got Susan. Susan, are, are you on the air now? How are you today? Oh, I'm fine. Thank you. How are you? I'm, I'm doing great. Thank you for joining our program. You have a question for Sasha? Yeah, I do. Uh, Sasha, hi. I heard you say that your parents were afraid for you when you were using. Yes, absolutely. But did they ever confront you? Uh, That's a great question, Susan. You know, I think that they confronted me probably several times in ways that I didn't understand was confrontation. You know, I I think that they, um, part of the issue was I was really secretive about what was happening. And because I was a bit older when kind of that big intervention happened, I was already out of the house and had been in college and was living on my own. They didn't see the everyday dysfunction of my life, but they definitely saw how out of control my anxiety disorder was. So I think my parents were thinking it was more of a mental health issue than it was a substance issue. Um, And, you know, they were confused about where to even start or what was underneath it or all of the complex factors um, contributing to why I was I was struggling and such a miserable person. But, you know, Susan, I do think my parents attempted to, to provide me help in many different ways ways, you know, some, some ways I was just completely not open to, um, you know, or it just went over my head. Um, I was also a really, really great excuse maker and, and quite a good manipulator. And, uh, and, and so I do think sometimes my parents bought the, um, the excuses and the stories that I, that I would tell them about what was happening. You know, I would deflect a lot of me, my behavior onto other people. And so I think my parents thought, oh, she's just away from this guy, or she's just away from this friend group. Um, you know, she would be okay. It was it was difficult for them to see that this was this these were my choices. So, what are the things that parents and grandparents can observe and know that this is actually something that they should be acting on? And then, when you do see it, and you know you're supposed to act on it, who do you call? Do you call your pastor, or who do you call? I would How say, do you know oh, what great, to do? great question. You dial Susan. up Jesus. 
Uh, there are so many different yeah. ways to receive help. You know, I think sometimes it's about, you know, who are you the most comfortable with? And I think a lot of people start within their, their faith community. Um, you know, that is, that is their, their larger extended family. And so whether it's, you know, starting out with a family member, starting out with a pastor or a youth minister, um, you know, going to a matriarch or a patriarch within your family, going to a, a clinician, you know, a, a mental health guidance counselor, a school counselor, mm-hmm. a psychiatrist. There are so many beautiful places that you can start and there's no one right answer to who you go to i do think though that the biggest um, mistake families make is that they don't go anywhere they choose to hold it inside the family because of shame Mm -hmm. Um, you know they don't want to talk about it outside the family because it's embarrassing brings shame to the family Um, and then i think what happens also with a lot of family is sometimes the parents are the people who are drowning with the kid and uh, and a lot of time the grandparents or the aunts and uncles or the cousins or the other you know, the godparents, um, they they begin to adopt this mentality of it's none of my business. Mm-hmm. Like maybe I bring it up once and then it falls on deaf ears or I bring it up once and someone gets defensive. And so we, we stop pushing. We stop asking questions. We stop providing support. Um, and so we just don't know what to say. And sometimes when we don't know what to say, it's easier to say nothing. So I tell parents and grandparents and siblings and spouses, it's better to say something and create a, you know, something that's going to shake up a family than to do nothing at all. The, the most dangerous thing you can do is nothing at all. Even if you don't know what the right thing is to do, do something. That's great. You know, Tony, we, we've, that's good advice. Yeah, we've, we've, we've talked many times about as we done this radio show it's just been amazing how many resources there are out there in the community for addiction help and and you know god will put people in your path once you start to seek help he really will i mean it's it's just amazing and the other thing is we talked earlier about about the pride and and how we're so reluctant to seek help and and family members might be of the shame uh afraid but the response when people enter into recovery and get sober is just incredible everybody n- nobody judges you or well some may but most people don't they're 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 happy for you they're wonderful you know i was i was afraid to go into rehab i was afraid about what people would think about me and the response i got was universal man it was congratulations this is wonderful we're glad you're back you know people so, who love us want to see us well oh absolutely i mean what what greater gift can you give to your family to your parents to your grandparents to your community than to be a well person at peace with yourself connected to god doing beautiful you know making beautiful choices so it's not a it's not a sign of weakness to seek help. It's a sign of strength. And Susan brought up a great point. You know, what do you do as a parent or a grandparent or a loved one? Um, and sometimes, you know, if you're the most motivated person in the family to make a change, then you go out there and seek that help for yourself. You may not be the person with an addiction issue, but if you're really bothered by what's happening within your family, then you seek out your pastor. You seek out the mental health clinician because you might need help formulating a plan of what you're going to do to make a difference in your family. Well, Susan asked, who do you seek out? And let me just put in a plug. Um, this is Pastor John Allworth, and we started a church right before COVID, so we're not in the building right now, but it's called New Covenant Church, Greater Heights. And I'm in recovery myself. And if you've got a family member or you've got some questions, you can call this program, and you can also get in touch with us at the church on our Facebook page, or you can call me at 832-475-8642. And if you've got questions about recovery, we're here 
to to help. And I know Tony feels the same way. You can call the program at 1-800-808-5548, or you can email us at recoveryradiohouston at outlook.com, or send us a message on our Facebook page. You can call and be anonymous. We're here to help people. We're here to show people that there's a better way to live. And so uh, if you just seek help. Susan, we, we want to thank you for joining the program. Did you have another question for Sasha? <laughs> No, that was a, really my burning question, and, and um, I have somebody that needs to be confronted. So thank you for that. I really appreciate it. Thank you, well, Thank Susan. you for joining the program. Thanks. You know, I've got a question for you, Sasha, for parents out there. What are some of the warning signs if they're, they're worried about their kid maybe using or drinking or, or having a problem experimenting or, and it's getting out of control? Um, and, of course, if they're young enough, any experimenting is getting out of control. What, what do you tell parents to look for? What are the warning signs? Oh, there's many, many warning signs. You know, and some, some parents get really confused because some of the warning signs look like typical teenage behavior. You know, things like moodiness, um, sleeping too much, not sleeping enough. Um, you know, personality changes, changes in friend groups. But a lot of that is also typical of what happens during teen years. So parents sometimes get uh, stumble, you know, they stumble up a little bit trying to figure out, is this something that's a substance use issue or is this just my moody teenager being a moody teenager? I, I would say um, one one hang up for parents sometimes is when they continue using the word experimentation, even though it's the 15th time they've caught their kids smoking mm. pot in the backyard. Yeah. So we just remind parents experimentation is when you make a choice once or twice to see what it feels like. But, you know, catching your kid for the 15th time smoking weed in the backyard is no longer experimentation. No, it's and, not. And, and if you there's ca- a big continuum also. You know, there's experimentation, there's social use, there's harmful use of sub- substances, and then there's what I would consider dependent or addiction and kids fall all along that continuum and and the chances are because as tony said earlier we're pretty good at hiding stuff if you catch them once it's not the first time (laughs) the chances are it's very (laughs) unlikely i tell parents you probably know 10 percent of the truth about what's happening when you when you are dealing with a kid who's having some struggles so your advice is don't ignore those red flags no absolutely and and you know anything that feels out of the ordinary to your child any major or sudden changes um you know should be a red flag for something and you know just because you know you caught them sneaking out at night or just because you know you see two or three red flags doesn't mean there is a drug problem and it may not even be substance use related but with any person once you see a couple of things that feel out of character for them it's time to sit down and have a serious conversation yeah at least address it and I mean that's better. You know, kids want to they want to know that their parents care about them. You know, and so if if you're just they're just letting them run wild, that's not exactly. Well, that's true. what I was saying. That I think the first course of action with uh, anything like this is that, that our kids are going to look to us to see what our relationship with God is. Yeah, that's right. So focusing on on the Lord and going to Him for your help before I mean, because the first thing we want to do is react out of fear, anger, whatever, and and discipline and whatnot. Uh, and I kind of learned that all the people that were praying for me really helped me before I even realized what prayer was. Isn't that amazing, Tony? You know, I yeah. found out that you know after I got sober, people came into me and I've been praying for you. I've been praying for you, and praise the Lord, the prayers worked. We've got a call on line two. We've got uh, Terry on line two. Terry, thank you for joining the the program. How can we help you today? Hey, John. How are you doing? I'm good, my friend. How are you? I'm great. Um, hey, I just wanted to reach out because. Um, Sasha is a extremely rare lady. Uh, I was on your program several months ago and had mentioned, um, you know, her program and what a difference it made in our life because our daughter went to Archway. And 
Sasha is it's one of those rare people. She's encouraging, she's she's hope personified, she's compassionate, and she's so wise. And, you know, she runs a school that teaches in a different way, and it's an amazing thing. And I, I really just had a question for you, Sasha, if I could. Hi, Terry. Great to hear your voice. I should put well, you in my you pocket and take show. you around with me everywhere. I'm liking these affirmations. <laughs> uh, I, I will be your personal PR person anytime. <laughs> but I just wanted to ask, what... I mean, you're, Tasha, you're on the national scene. You're in some organizations that kind of have a national um, influence out there. What do you see as the future for recovery and education and the next generation of the kids that are coming through your program with the way that they're coming out of your program sober? They've got a past. They've got a future. They're not, you know, they're not struggling as much as a lot of generations in the past have. How is that going to affect us down the road? What path do you see for the future? That's a great there. question. I mean, Terry, I, I I can't predict the future. I wish I could, but I do have some hopes and prayers and dreams. You know, and and right now I think that there is a lot, um, the shame and stigma that has um, been the reason why families continue to drown in silence, I think a lot of that is beginning to lift. Um, I think it's a combination of things. I think it's spiritual communities. I think it's celebrities coming out and speaking about their mental health issues and their addiction issues so that kids feel um, like it's it's actually kind of cool to not use drugs and alcohol. You know, people are just more open in discussing what kind of challenges that they've had and how rough their path got and what what they decided to do to turn their life around. And so my my hope and my prayer for this this upcoming generation of kids is that they will have an easier time asking for help and they will have more adults in their life modeling you know, uh, spiritual behaviors, recovery behaviors. You know, um, Tony said something really great earlier when he said, you know, uh, the kids are looking to the parents, you know, to model spirituality. Well, the kids are also looking to the parents to model morality and good choices. And sometimes it's really hard for a parent to confront a kid when the parent is having challenges with drinking. You know, when mom has to drink a bottle of wine every night to go to bed, you know, because of the stress of her job or the stress of her marriage, and that's what the kids grow up seeing, um, you know, it's easy for the kid to say, well, how, how dare you come talk to me about it? Why don't you look in your, why don't you look in the mirror? But, you know, my hope is that this next generation of young kids will, you know, will have healthier parents. And um, and then a lot of these what I would consider generational curses, there's a lot of different ways to say it. But these, you know, these things pass down from generation to generation and, you know, drinking issues and drug issues and domestic violence. Those are all passed down uh, through generations. You know, they're learned behaviors that we see that sometimes we you know, put on like a blanket and carry around the rest of our lives. Um, you know, my hope is that we see less of that as people become more willing to receive help. That is, that is so good. You know, uh, this is not exactly what you just said, but I remember when I was, oh, I don't know, 14, and I, my mom was coughing, and I said, Mom, why, why don't you stop smoking? You know, it's really bad for you. And she had just found a pack of cigarettes in my in my chest of drawers, and she says, why should I quit when you're just starting? So, I mean, it goes both ways. And my mom and I ended up, you know, when I was still in high school, drinking together. So, I mean, that's not, as Tony said, you know, that's not the, the what you want to model. So you got to take care of your own your own house first, uh, that plank in your eye before you you can help somebody get the get theirs out of there. So, anyway, Sasha. Um, I have a question real quick. Sure. Do you, no, no, blah, blah, blah. I'm, I'm thinking that the kids come to you at different stages of high school, right? Freshman, junior, whatever. Absolutely. If they let's just say they come in as a sophomore, do they normally stay till they graduate, or can they go back to their regular high school? 
So great question. It really just depends on the young person, Tony. You know, we have some families that come to us and we're a stepping stone for them. Mm-hmm. You know, they they come to Archway Academy to to fall in love with school again, to get some roots, to meet other kids, mm-hmm. you know, that are going through their challenges to to experience some hope. Um, to learn some valuable lessons, and they have something really important to launch back to, mm. right? They have, you know, a, a sports career or a theater or something that traditional schools offer that smaller so schools on like average, ours don't. On average, how long do they usually stay? Some kids will come and then launch back to their traditional environment because there's something there for them. Mm-hmm. Other kids will come and stay until they graduate. Even if their intention, I can't tell you how many parents, families will come to tour and the kids like, you know, real angry at the parent, like you're bringing me to this horrible place uh, for Mm. recovery. Who wants that? And, uh, you know, the kid will be like, I'll do it for a semester. And then within the semester, it's my job to help them fall in love with our way of doing school. So, you know, it really just depends on the family. Some kids come and stay until they graduate. Terry's daughter, uh, Lexi, stayed until she graduated. And some kids come and spend a little time with us, get their feet solid in recovery, and then go back to what they were doing before. Do you get, like, grants to help, or do they have... Tuition Absolutely. Or? So we do have program fees connected to the school, but we have scholarships available for any families. Who so if anybody wanted to donate, what would they do? Absolutely. They could go to our website, archwayacademy.org, and there's a donate button on our website. All of the donations are tax deductible, and uh, most of our donations go towards scholarships for families who cool. cannot afford our program. Really cool. Terry, are you still with us? Yes, I am. All right, Terry. I want to. Uh, I want to thank you for introducing Sasha t- to us and and uh, for being such a wonderful friend of the program. Do you have any other questions? I was just going to thank Sasha for. I mean, some of Lexi's best memories are spending time with you, Sasha, and also going out to L.A. when you guys went out to open. You know, one of those forty-two schools you said are across the nation now. You 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 can you don't have to tell the story but Lexi had a great time out there as a guest speaker absolutely in front of, I don't know how many how many hundreds, hundreds. Of people, but it was a phenomenal event she I mean and this is what I love about about Lexi and what I love about recovery is it gives us opportunities to be of service and so Lexi and I um, and another young man took a trip out to California to help mm. open a school in Orange County and uh, you know spoke at their first major fundraising event to get their doors open and and it was so beautiful Terry to watch Lexi's face light up and all the people that came after her came up to her after after um, her speaking to tell her, you know, how much they appreciated her vulnerability mm. and how brave and courageous she was to be able to get up and, you know, tell tell a hard story. But it was so full of hope. Um, and she's quite a gifted uh, speaker. Uh, it was such an honor to have her come out there with us. And, you know, I think it's the that servant leader. Um, you know, most of us that get into recovery, um, you know, feel this this Im- Im- very important kind of responsibility and gift to give back what we have received. Isn't that wonderful? And, uh, and so, yeah, Lexi's a, a beautiful story of, you know, having the, the a heart of service. You can't keep what you, that what a, you don't give away. Mm-hmm. Terry, thank you for yeah, that. Was a, that was a very empowering moment for her. I know that much. And there are, I'm sure there are communities out there where it's a tough conversation to have to talk about somebody who's dealing with an addiction and, you know, they don't fit into their group or their family or their society. And I've, I'm sure there are some folks out there who are dealing with that. And I'm hoping that this conversation brings an understanding that we can all find a way to solve that together. Absolutely. Amen. So, Terry, thank you so much for joining thank us. So We're going to get you back on the program again soon, my friend. But thank you for introducing us to Shasha, and thanks for joining us today. You know, My pleasure. Take care. That's uh, what you just said, Sasha, is, is so... What's so cool about recovery and so wonderful about it is that we really do turn the corner when we start helping other people. 
That's how we stay sober. That's how we realize our potential in life. And what's so good about, wonderful about it is, and, and people out there need to understand, no matter where they're at, I mean, I don't care if you're living under a bridge, God can use that because you're going to have a wonderful testimony, like Lexi, not that she was living under a bridge, but wherever you come from, you're going to use that to empower other people to go on their own spiritual journey of recovery. Amen. So there's always hope. There's always hope out there. How many students do you have at Archway Academy? So um, we serve about 100 to 140 students a year within our school community, and it's all different ages, you know, grades 9 through 12. We tend to be a little heavier junior, senior, because it takes kids sometimes a while to uh, start developing some challenges at school, either failing classes or getting in trouble on school property or, you know, just life really deteriorating. Um, and we we are technically a private public partnership school. So the private side of the school is the nonprofit Archway Academy that handles all of the counseling, the recovery services. And then we partner with a public charter school called Southwest School. So all of my teachers are public school teachers and our diploma is a, a traditional a public school diploma that has oh. all the same rights and privileges as if they graduate from their home district school. So cool. What a wonderful merger that is. So I've got something off your website. It says Archway Academy is a close knit group of teachers, recovery experts, and students working together to create a welcoming campus that not only physically challenges its high schoolers to remain sober, praise the Lord, but stretches their expectations socially, spiritually, intellectually, and ac- academically. So you not only have teachers and administration like yourself, but you have actual licensed counselors there at Archway Academy? Absolutely. So I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, licensed professional counselor. Um, And we have other licensed clinicians and we have um, certified recovery coaches that tend to be our younger staff, um, many of whom are alumni of our program that come back to work for us. Yeah. That's part of their their heart of service. Um, And so, you know, we are, our number one mission is to help kids get their high school diploma, um, but we've got a lot of work to do in order oh. for that to happen. And so we're helping them navigate their anxiety about school, their interpersonal issues, you know, like you, helping them understand, you know, sometimes you're going to have a teacher that you don't particularly like, but you better figure out how to mm-hmm. work with them because guess life. what? It's going to come over and over. You're going to end up having a boss you hate. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's help you figure out what you're going to do to navigate these difficult relationships. You know, we're helping them navigate cravings for drugs and alcohol, but we're helping them navigate their romantic relationships and stress in their families and stuff going on with their parents and, you know, normal life stuff. Well, I noticed that your admissions under admission, it says Archway Academy operates two programs, the traditional Archway program and the Passageway program, both at our Palmer location. Explain that to us. Yeah. So um, what we know is that kids who have very little time sober have different needs than kids who have longer time sober. And so, you know, some kids come to us straight out of a psychiatric hospital, straight out of a residential treatment facility where they've been pretty much locked up against their will, um, you know, to, to help with their drug or alcohol problem. And so those kids need more supervision, probably more drug testing, more oversight, more accountability. And then we have kids on our campus that have one year or two years sober. And those kids need a bit more freedom. They're working their recovery program, you know, outside of school hours. You know, they've got sponsors. They're, uh, you know, and they're connected different, you know, in a different way spiritually. And so they need a little less support and accountability from us. And so, you know, the two programs are to just really match the, the level of need that each student has, whether they're a newcomer to the recovery program or what we call an old timer. They've been with us for a while and uh, and are having a lot of success on their own. So if there's a parent or a family member that's interested in possibly uh, t- 
talking with you about one of their kids coming to your to Archway Academy, what would they do? Where do they go? The best starting place is our website, archwayacademy.org. The website's pretty incredible. We have some wonderful videos, you know, a way to kind of virtually tour the school in some ways. Um, the videos allow you to meet parents, meet students. There's interviews by the teachers. Um, and so that's one way to kind of peek into the window of who we are as an organization. And then to call our um, office line, 713-328-0780, which will pretty much get you directly to me. So um, that we can talk through what's going on in your family and see what we can do to support you. Uh, that's wonderful. Sasha, thank you so much for joining us today. We're so excited to bring recovery resources to the community. That's what we're here for. Uh, we invite you to join us each and every Saturday at 4 p.m. Tony and I will be here uh, to pray for you, to answer your questions, and to bring wonderful guests like Sasha McLean at Archway Academy to tell you about the recovery resources because there's always hope. And remember, whom the sun sets free is free it's indeed. free indeed. Yes, Amen. sir. All right. Thank you for joining us on our first afternoon broadcast. We'll be on every Saturday, like Pastor John said, from 4 p.m. to 5 p.m. Central Standard Time. Tune in on your radio dial locally to 100.7 Houston, 100.7theword.com, or the app downloaded 100.7 The Word. Subscribe to our podcast, Recovery Radio Houston. Y'all have a good week. God bless and take care. See you in a week. Remember, we love you, but God loves you more than you can possibly imagine. Amen. Amen.